You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 416, A Closer Look at the Corinthians, part four. So in the last three episodes, we've kind of worked our way, at least in a, in a general way, worked our way through 1 Corinthians and given you the high points and the highlights and talked about some of the main things that Paul covers. But what I want to do today is we're going to wrap it up and I'm going to take you through 2 Corinthians using some kind of uh, wide brush strokes. But um, I think after you know you put these four episodes together and I think you've gotten a really, really good overview, um, a helpful overview, at least that's that's my prayer, of the two Corinthian letters. But before we get started, I wanted to let you know this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, Peter and Paul and Acts. This was my very first book, and it was based on my doctoral dissertation about the Acts of the Apostles. Um, we got the worked on the manuscript, made it a little more readable, got it published um, with the help of a great publisher, and, and now it's available for you. Now listen, this is an extremely helpful book, if I do say so myself. Um, it's going to give you a great uh, background of the Acts of the Apostles, of the Gospel of Luke, because the same author wrote both books. You're going to see some, some themes that are kind of common between the two books, and then we really take you on a journey through Acts exploring what apostolic ministry looked like in the first century, <clears throat> excuse me, based on Peter and Paul, who were the two most eminent apostles in the early church. So Peter and Paul and Acts, click on the link, grab you a copy, because I know you will love it. Well, all right, here we go. 2 Corinthians was the, the uh, sounds like, from what Paul wrote, the fourth letter that Paul wrote to them. Um, he'd evidently been pretty harsh in the last one as he had rebuked them. And uh, that definitely seems like a letter different from um, 1 Corinthians because he's not really that harsh in it. He can bring some correction, but um, he spoke of the, the, the harsh letter, the, the difficult letter, the um, letter where he had to rebuke them for kind of the way they were living. And we talked a bit about that, why? He might have to do that in 1 Corinthians. He wrote in 1 Corinthians to correct some things, and if they didn't do it, he would probably have to write again to deal with it. And so um, what we have is um, either the third or fourth letter, depending on um, you know what we're reading here. He wrote the lost letter to rebuke them and take corrective measures uh, based on you know what he had dealt with in the, the first letter. So what are some of the other things that Paul is now talking about in the second, the, the second letter that we have, 2 Corinthians? It seems like, whether it was the third letter, the fourth letter, or if there was just maybe one extra, the Corinthian Christians took it to heart, made the changes that Paul asked them to make, 
And now in 2 Corinthians, he's writing kind of a, a more conciliatory letter. The main theme of this, this whole book is, um, is, is on reconciliation, which is a very powerful theme. And I would say in, in, in many ways, reconciliation is the, the big theme about what Christianity represents. Because uh, in, in a very <clears throat> real way, I mean, we know John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his son. Um, God's plan all along has been reconciliation. And you see it in a bit of a microcosm in 2 Corinthians because Paul is, is spending almost a whole letter talking about reconciliation. But we also need to be reconciled to each other. So that's what we're talking about here is the, the church being reconciled after dealing with the disciplinary problems we talked about in the first letter. So a couple couple of things that he talks about here in 2 Corinthians. We're just going to highlight a couple of them. Um, uh, first of all, it seems like, and this is, this is fascinating because we're talking about the Apostle Paul here, but listen to what he says. This is chapter, two, chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians and verses 8 and 9. He says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. Now, he's talking specifically about his ministry in Ephesus and the surrounding areas. He says, We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. But listen to that. He says, we, have, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Here's the question. Was the Apostle Paul depressed? I mean, it kind of sounds like that. Now, the reason I'm, I'm bringing that up is, you know, uh, COVID was terrible. COVID was bad. There's nothing good about COVID. But if there was any any redeeming quality at all of that horrible time you know, that we've had to all live through is it's brought to the, the forefront the fact that a lot of people are dealing with depression, anxiety, fear, and worry. And, 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 and when I read the scriptures, I find throughout the Bible, God's people, just like everybody else, dealing with things that everybody else in the world is dealing with. But thank God, He gives us a way out. So, so I think this is fascinating, and it's definitely worth exploring and and you see how Paul how how Paul responded. He talked about we were crushed, we were overwhelmed, we thought we were going to die. If you've ever been depressed, that's how you felt. He said, but we we learned as a result, we learned to stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. And then he goes on to say in verse eleven, he says, and you're helping us by praying for us. And and so this is this is some powerful stuff. Now don't get me wrong. Um, you know, we, we don't just go to people that are depressed and just say, well, listen, you need to trust God. We know it's a bigger issue than that. But definitely the spiritual realm is, is one of the places that we do have to go. So, you know, just some food for thought there. I'm going to spend the whole time talking about depression, but it's definitely worth talking about. In chapter, um, in chapter 4, we find Paul talking about um, something amazing. He says... Um, that that we have treasure in in these 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 really like earthenware jars and fragile clay jars, uh, the note in my Bible says. Um, he says the good if the good news is hidden uh, behind a veil, it's only from people who are perishing. Listen to this: Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They are unable to see 
the glorious light, the they are under the glorious light of the good news, and they don't understand the message about the glory of Christ. And we talked a bit about this in in First Corinthians, um, worldly wisdom versus spiritual wisdom. But he's he's kind of doubling down on it and reiterating it here is is the fact that people who don't know Christ are spiritually blind. Satan has blinded their minds, and and and, and you know that's not something that that people like to hear. We all have those family members or friends that aren't Christians, and and, 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 you know, we keep hoping and praying, but we need to understand that until they have an encounter with Jesus, they're blind and they can't see. Now, obviously, the, we know the gospel works because we've experienced it, but but we also have to understand that, that it's only a work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in, I think it's in John 6, no one can come to the Father except the Spirit draw him. So there's this, this work of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, but we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. And this is the amazing thing about the gospel is the fact that the eternal God, through his Holy Spirit, lives inside of his people in these fragile, fragile, uh, uh, perishable, uh, or perishing bodies. It's an amazing thing. We are, as we talked about in, in earlier in 1 Corinthians, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and you know, what an amazing privilege we have to be um, uh, bearers of the presence of God in our lives. But we also understand um, we're not trusting ourselves. It's, it's God's power inside of us. And then we're talking about reconciliation. We, we, we said that that was the theme um, of this gospel or of this of this letter. And in chapter 5, we get pretty much a whole chapter where Paul's kind of talking about that. In chapter 5, verse 11, he says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. We work hard to persuade others. We're, we're looking for opportunities to persuade others to become followers. Now, we just said until they have an encounter with Jesus, their, 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 their hearts are hard. Their minds are blinded uh, by the enemy. But we also know that, 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 that our job is to attempt to persuade and attempt to share the good news. And, and it's a powerful thing to see the Holy Spirit touch somebody's heart, touch somebody's mind, give them understanding that leads to salvation. But um, it, later on in this chapter, Paul goes on to talk about that. But he, he says, and he says, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Isn't that a powerful statement? We are ambassadors. We are ambassadors for God. And, you know, if you've, if you've traveled much, um, you, you know that each country has their own ambassador that represents their interest to, to different nations. And, you know, as, as children of, of the king and as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we're ambassadors of this new kingdom representing the king to the world and looking for opportunities to, to see people reconciled to Christ. And, and, and again, that is 
really the the essence of this letter is helping people come to a point where they can you know break through the darkness break through the hardness have that encounter with the holy spirit and then as you know people the, the guy said in john 9 after jesus had healed him he said i don't know what happened all I know is I was blind, but now I see. And that's really what salvation is all about, Jesus opening our eyes. So, so we are to be ambassadors. And I just encourage you, where, where are you an ambassador in your world? Is it in your job? Is it in your neighborhood? Is it in your family? Is it in your school? Where are you an ambassador? You know, I found when, when I retired and spent my, you know, pretty much most of my days at home reading or, or writing, um, you know, and, and writing books, um, I found I, uh, my arena got smaller. I wasn't the ambassador at work anymore. Um, you know, I mean, I'm in church a few days a week, so, you know, but th- most of those people know Jesus. And um, I've tried to get to know some of my neighbors, but, you know, that's not always easy either. So, so for me, it's been, you know, the gym. I go to the gym every morning. So, you know, it's finding the connections and meeting people where we're at. And so, you know, it's building relationships. And, you know, even this past Sunday, a young couple that I'd met in the gym and invited them to church, and they came and had a great experience and said they were going to come back. So, um, you know, uh, I, I think we just have to find what our arena is and where we can connect with people and look for opportunities to be ambassadors. Listen to what one, one uh, commentary writer, he said, ambassadors are chosen for their tact, for their dignity, and their courtesy because they are gifted with persuasive powers. The ambassadors for Christ should represent and have the same characteristics. Well, that's that's really what we should all be striving for is having these these characteristics of tact and uh, dignity and courtesy and being persuasive. All right, well, let's jump ahead. Now, one of the other cool things about 2 Corinthians is, is Paul spends, he's got two chapters, two, two, two good chapters talking about being generous and talking about making giving a part of our lifestyle. Um, you know, we've all heard the people say, well, you know, I don't, I don't come to church because all they do is talk about money, which, which I just kind of laugh at. Somebody actually said that about our church, and we, we checked. And, you know, I think out of an hour and 15, an hour and 20, sometimes even an hour and a half service, we spend probably three minutes, maybe five, talking about money, taking the offering. I mean, that's a pretty small percentage. And, and I think that's probably true across the board. Most churches, you know, when I go and I travel quite a bit and, and speak in different churches, and you just don't hear them talking that much about it. I mean, they bring it up. They teach on it, um, have a short message to encourage people to give. But, 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 I, but I'm amazed that people think that's all the church talks about. But the power is and the importance of, for us, is God has called us to be generous. Um, you know, and, 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 and this is actually, when Paul wrote this, he was writing for a specific reason. Um, not only was he encouraging uh, regular giving in the local church, but he was also taking up a special offering for the church in Jerusalem who, who was suffering. They were, that particular area was going through a famine, and, and the Christians in, in, in Corinth, this would have been in Greece, um, and, and you know, he, he was saying, listen, let's give back something um, to the Jerusalem church because of all they've done for us. And so, so he, he's got really two chapters encouraging them and talking about, um, you know, the, the power of giving. Um, just give you a couple of little snippets. Um, he said, uh, give 
in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean that your giving should make your life, make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. In other words, you know, God is, I live in America. God has blessed us incredibly. Um, you know, why, why wouldn't I want to give um, into different situations, whether it's my church, whether it's the, the children we support through Compassion International and other ministries, to, 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 you know, honor God with what He's given us. I mean, we're incredibly blessed. If you live in America, you're already richer than most of the people in the world. And, 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 and why wouldn't we want to be a part of that? And he says, give in proportion to what you have. He's not saying give away everything. He's saying give in proportion to what you have. So, so I think that's a, that's a powerful thing. He says in chapter 9, um, he says, and this is great, he says, don't give reluctantly, or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Now listen again. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Listen, if somebody's twisting your arm to give, run away. You know, I'm amazed by people. I've talked to people. They've been in churches for years. And they talk about, oh, you know, our pastor does this every week. And I'm like, why are you there? If, if the pastor feels like he's got to twist people's arms and put pressure on people and make them feel guilty, um, that's not an environment where you should be putting roots down. You need to be in a place where you want to give. It's a privilege to give. Yeah, they'll talk about it. They'll teach you about it. But there's never any pressure. Um, don't ever give reluctantly or under pressure uh, because it says God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Um you know, our pastor says over and over again, you know, if you feel like I'm pressuring you to give, I don't want your money. I don't want your money. Keep it until you're at a place where you can give uh, generously and cheerfully. And then he says, God will generously provide all you need, and you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. You know, I've, I've talked to some Christians that seem to, to embrace this mindset that God wants them poor. And look, I get it. Some people have different situations, and you know they kind of, kind of, we kind of work with the hand we're dealt. But you know, again, we live in America. the The opportunity is here to work and to 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 live a good life, to live a good life, to get a job that pays you well and provides for your needs and your family's needs. But if we manage what God's given us, now we've also got the opportunity to give and bless others. And so so I just, I don't subscribe to this thing that God wants us poor. I, I, I think, you know, as, as Paul said in Timothy, he says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself isn't bad. And and, and, and I find that um, when I've struggled myself, and I've been in that, that poor situation, when I'm struggling myself, I sure can't help anybody else. So so why not get to a place where we, we've got enough that we're able to share and be a blessing to others. I just see this as a kingdom principle. Um, it's, it's, it's throughout the Bible. Paul wrote about it. Jesus talked about it. It's, it's a powerful thing. And, and, and I find this, that um, our money typically holds the key to our hearts. Um, you know, when I'm, when I'm generous, I'm generous in so many other areas as well, with my time, with my resources, um, you know, with my talent. Uh, it's not just about money, but the money does tend to hold the key to our heart. And then I want to wrap up with just a couple of other little things here. 
We know chapter chapter 12, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. And, and we don't know what it is. It's probably some type of sickness, but we don't know that. But he says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And, you know, that's a powerful, powerful attitude that Paul had. Um, He asked God to take it away three times. It didn't get taken away, and so he just still trusts God. His attitude hasn't changed. But what we see in the chapter before this, even leading up to him talking about his thorn in the flesh, he talks about all the things that he had suffered as an apostle. Now, this is <laughs> this is pretty intense. Um, you know, we seem to think that uh, you know, especially if you you look at you know some of the the art from the Middle Ages. You know, Paul was wearing fancy robes and um, you know had a good life. But listen to what he said. He, he's, he's comparing himself, and he's, he's, he's actually drawing a contrast between himself and the, uh, the false apostles who were um, trying to worm their way into the Corinthian church. And he's, he's asking what they've suffered. He said, what have they suffered for the gospel? What did they suffer to bring the gospel to you? And he says this. He says, um, I have worked harder. I've been in pr- put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jews flogged me with 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. You know, it's interesting because when you read Philippians or or in Acts, when he talks about the Philippian church, we find about him being beaten with rods. That's the only time that's mentioned. So there's two other times. We don't even hear about him being flogged, and he talks about that happening five times. Um, He says, once I was stoned. He says, three times I've been shipwrecked. Well, again, we read about one in Acts 27, but he says this happened three times. Um, Once I spent a whole night and a day drifting in the sea. I've traveled on many long journeys, faced danger from rivers and robbers, danger from my own people, the Jews as well as the Gentiles, dangers in the cities, dangers in the deserts and on the seas, and I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but they're not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights, and I've been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold, often without enough clothing. And then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Now, this is, uh, this is quite the resume Paul just gave us, but it also gives you some understanding and some insight into what it was like to be a Christian leader in the first century, and of course this carried over in the first few centuries of the church, it was no picnic to, to, to be a follower of Jesus. And when you see what Paul endured, the physical um, scars and injuries that he carried with him, um, you might even wonder, we wonder uh, as scholars, you know, maybe this, this thorn in the flesh was something that was a result uh, of one of those beatings um, or, or, you know, the injuries that he suffered um, during his 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 ministry, I mean, he, you know, stoned and flogged and beaten with rods and uh, just all kinds of bad stuff. So, Paul wraps up. Paul wraps up with a couple of thoughts, and I'm just going to read you 
this this verse from chapter 13, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. He says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine, he tells the Corinthians. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you, and if not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. And as you test yourselves, I hope you will recognize that we have not failed the test of apostolic ministry. So, again, a very powerful letter. Now, what we see in 2 Corinthians is it's definitely more uh, personal. Uh, 1 Corinthians was much more teaching-oriented. In 2 Corinthians, he's he, he, he he's really you know more preaching and sharing his heart and um, but but the teaching that we do get in there is still very powerful and very practical. All right, well I'm going to wrap up here. This is uh, the last episode of, of our look at the Corinthians. I hope it's been helpful to you. Um, I'd love to hear if you have any questions or comments. Go to davidspell.com and leave your question or comment in the comment section for today's post. While you're there, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter so that we can stay in touch. I send those out periodically. I just sent one out a few days ago letting um, folks on my, my, my list know that my wife and I are going to be going to, to Brazil. We're going to be on a missions trip. I will be preaching in, in several of our churches down there over the next couple of weeks. and So so I'll send stuff like that out, and then I'll also send out a recap later with a bunch of pictures just letting people know, you know what, what their prayers are helped us accomplish. So thanks so much for being with us. We'll see you next week on Leading and Learning.